You're listening to This Is Yoga Therapy. I'm your host, Michelle Lawrence, and I've had the opportunity to interview many of those who are making a difference at the intersections of yoga and health. And I'm here to share with you their stories and conversations. Thanks for listening. In today's episode, I interviewed Dr. Joe Tafur. Dr. Tafur, MD, is an integrative family physician, curandero, author, and speaker. His acclaimed book, The Fellowship of the River, explores the role of spiritual healing in modern healthcare. Dr. Tafur currently offers integrative medical services virtually and in association with Day Trip Psychedelic Wellness Center in Phoenix, Arizona. He also provides telemedicine services to individuals in Arizona and California. Generally, I speak on this podcast with individuals who work in the space of yoga and healing. Today, we'll speak more about plant medicine and healing, but the common denominator for both yoga and plant medicine is the spiritual aspect of healing, one that's generally missing in modern healthcare. It's great to have you here on the podcast today, Joe. Yeah, thank you, Michelle. Great to be here. Can you share with our listeners a small bit of your story and what brought you, someone who's trained in Western medicine, to explore traditional Amazonian plant medicine? Yeah, I think the basic, you know, I kind of reviewed in, in my book and stuff is is I got depressed in medical school and I was kind of struggling and having a hard time and looking for help. And then I really responded to sacred plant medicine ceremony here in Arizona. I had an opportunity to experience peyote at this place called the Peyote Way Church in Arizona. And that really turned me around. And so then that made me very curious about that kind of healing. And my family's from Colombia, South America. And so I knew about ayahuasca. I knew that that existed. And I just had an increasing curiosity about that. And then eventually went to Peru to experience it and had a you know big opening there and a big curiosity and started going back to learn more and then started leading groups there and then became friends with one of the healers and uh, with some other colleagues. And we started our own healing center down there in Peru. And I lived down there and, and worked there and trained there. And uh, I came back and wrote a book about it. And and so now, I'm, yeah, I'm doing that. We're in a process here in Arizona. We have our spiritual community that's actually in a legal process with the government to try to protect, you know, our right to utilize ayahuasca and sacred ceremony in the United States. So going through that right now. Yeah. A few other things. Yeah, that's great. And so what you were training in, in Western medicine, really did not provide the solution for the depression that you were going through. And basically, as I understand it from your book, like that's what puts you on that path to explore something else and something deeper and something that really got to the root of how you were feeling more than the surface. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, and I think that's generally true. I think you can probably say, like in the the Western treatment of depression is has not been that impressive, right? And that's something the Western culture is struggling with, and so it raises the question along the lines of what you're interested in and working on is like, you know, what is the root of that, and what does that represent? And for me, you know, in my experience is. It was a spiritual disconnection, 
you know, that I felt like medical school was kind of hammering me through. And that's where I really lost my inspiration. Mm-hmm. And so then it's about like, how do you rediscover that? Or how do you reconnect to that and that kind of essence? You know, I think that yoga and the long tradition, you know, of yoga in the Eastern or at least the Hindu traditions or, you know, however we want to describe them. But from over there in South Asia, this the deep wisdom about what's really going on, you know, and how do you, what is the source of this like essential energy that nourishes us on a, on a spiritual level and that interacts with us on an emotional level and that ends up impacting us on a mental and a physical level, you know, and can we get by without addressing that? It's tough. I mean, in yoga therapy, we look at the whole individual, all five layers, and we call that the koshas or the panchamaya kosha model. And we see the human being as being interconnected and all parts important in the healing process. And we understand like we're not a body separated from the mind, separated from energy, separated from emotions and spirit, but a whole person. And and it's my understanding that other traditions and other modalities and plant medicine look at the human in a similar way. The concept is similar, even though the language might be different. And so in your experience, and I, and I also find it interesting that you use the word inspiration, like you lost your inspiration in medical school. And like in that word, inspiration is the word spirit as well, you know? And so you've worked with a lot of individuals now. Um, It's been some time since medical school and you've done a lot and you've got these traditional healing practices that you work with now too. Can you share a couple of stories, perhaps from your book of individuals, like case studies of whole person healing that occurred through the process? And I know particularly you've had experience with individuals who've had PTSD and addiction. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, those are big focus areas of the current like psychedelic, uh, you know, uh, clinical kind of renaissance, you know, the PTSD, addiction, depression, anxiety. And then in the book, I tried to explore like, you know, what you were talking about and the the kind of continuity across the mind body, you know, into the, the flesh and the emotional and the spiritual and trying to demonstrate the way that kind of stuff is, um, like I said, the intersection between biology, emotion and spirituality. And so as a doctor, then I picked a couple cases where and that would be more obvious. You know, one of them in the book is a Crohn's disease case, like an inflammatory bowel disease case. So somebody that has really severe inflammatory bowel disease, this guy had it so bad that he had already had a couple surgeries to remove parts of his intestines that had perforated and were leaking, you know, stool into his abdomen and causing all these problems. He also, you know, as I'm saying, as a family medicine doctor, when in my training in that time, And I think still today, largely, but you know, when you see somebody with Crohn's disease, if you just read the research, you know, there's no question that there's a high comorbidity, you know, with anxiety and depression, that there's a mental health piece that's very common. Like it doesn't take a lot of digging into the literature to see, oh, wow, this is an established fact that, you know, there's something, there may be something going on here at a psychological level or perhaps at an emotional level. But, you know, as a family medicine resident, like what you're just going to, you're just rushed. You're going to send them to the GI doctor, 
and they're going to manage them trying to calm the inflammation in their body with medication. And if they need surgery, I guess they'll get surgery, you know, but as far as them getting to a psychiatrist or who's going to help them, you know, or a yoga therapist or somebody, you know, who's going to get them to some kind of holistic care. And so this individual, as it turns out, the reason he came, he was managing himself with his medication and then, you know, severe um, abdominal pain, intermittent, you know, bloody diarrhea, and then, you know, using some marijuana to manage those symptoms. And he wasn't really somebody that was trying to go to therapy anyway. So he wasn't helping himself in that regard. You know, he was struggling with all of that. So you can't blame, you know, there was probably some kind of mental health support available to him that he just wasn't going for. But then he ended up very depressed and was considering, you know, suicide. And somehow he ended up down at the center in Peru. And through their approach, you know, he had a miraculous, you know, thing happened to him in about three weeks. He, and, you know, his diet was terrible, as it turns out. So that wasn't helping anything. So getting him on this really clean, you know, like you talk about the Panchakarma and putting him through a purification physically, you know, was a big part of his process. But, you know, it just was revealed that he had been through all this trauma, physical trauma, you know, sexual abuse as a child, like all these things that had not, there was no, I don't know, in a way, there was nobody that was able to address those things effectively for him. Some of it was repressed and he had no idea and later was verified, you know, things that came out in the ceremonies. So he went through this really profound process that there was, there was supernatural, you know, elements in his case that were part of what he experienced, but he healed, you know, like he healed in three weeks. He, he came out of his depression and he's a very strong case. Like not everybody's going to respond like him, but it was a fascinating case because here's somebody that like has painful, bloody diarrhea that he's no longer having that if you're trying to figure out the mind body, I mean, he's just, it's not, there's no more blood. It's like, it's not that hard to believe what happened to him and then following him out, you know, for a year to two years, like just continued improvement continued resiliency and managing his stress. You know, that was a big deal to see that case and just to see that, you know, that's what the book ends up being about. It's like, well, you know, he needed help with, the emotional and the spiritual dimensions of his problem. And if those were adequately addressed, there would be physical ramifications. So that's the big deal, you know, because that's what they don't, you know, they're this continuity, like, yes, it should work both ways. It should work all those ways. You know, when you have this, you know, whether it's through yoga or other ways that people, you know, overcome, let's say some, some back pain, you know, whether it's sciatica or just, you know, there's a physical element, but there is an emotional element many times in this, the holistic healing that, you know, where somebody was on this track to get surgery, oh my God, you need surgery. That's the only answer. And then all of a sudden they find this emotional healing, they find this physical, you know, therapeutic intervention, and then they don't, you know, like they just don't at all. And so then you see like, okay, maybe we were missing the boat here. So that's what it's about. And then that's, that's a case to kind of talk about that. And so, you know, I explore that in the book and all that. I stuff. wonder if we can stay with that case for a <clears throat> moment, that same one and talk about the continuity of support and what that looks like in this model, right? So he goes down to Peru, he's there for three weeks, there's a healing process that's occurred, no doubt, it's obvious, symptoms are gone. 
Now he goes back home and you've followed him over the course of the next couple of years to see his sustained progress. But what are his protocols, if any, when he's back home? Like, how do we integrate? Everybody needs to integrate. You know what I mean? Everybody needs to integrate in some form. And that's every patient. That's everybody that comes through any healer's path. So there is a personal responsibility involved. You know what I mean? I'm not going to follow everybody that comes through, uh, if I'm working at a clinic, I'm not going to follow them home. Like, so in, in the traditional medicine system and, and think in the yoga tradition, I don't think there's any question about the role of the personal responsibility of the care. Yeah. So in his case, you know, he's somebody that was coming out of, out of, um, you know, not wanting to go to therapy or, you know, dealing with a divorce and he was going through a lot. And so the first steps for him and his integration, as you know, I think it has to start somewhere was he had to go and deal with these relationships that were really like turned out to be at the root of his problem. So Mm -hmm. for him, that was really major to go home and talk to his stepfather that used to beat him up his whole childhood, who's still with his mom. And, you know, have some big conversations about what happened and and work towards some kind of forgiveness. And, you know, in this case, received an apology from a guy that regretted, you know, this behavior, but to actually go through that process and that there was a big emotional release that was significant um, as far as the impact on his body to go through that, to go and talk to his cousins and find out, you know, is it true that I know in the ayahuasca visions, it looks like I got abused, you know, by this aunt and, you know, what's the story behind that and investigate and find out, yes, actually that did happen. And other people verify that that happened and then starting to work through that process of coming to terms and talking to those people and talking to his mom and sorting all that out. So I I think there's some very real human stuff that is, can be very helpful, you know, that I encourage people a lot to work through, you know, their relationships, you know, which are so core to all this stuff, you know, to whatever degree that is possible. And then beyond that, in his case, he he improved his diet, like, you know, he used to eat this bacon, whatever breakfast sandwich every single day, and he stopped. And he went from using, you know, regular steroid medication to intermittent uh, medicinal marijuana to come. If he did have any beginning signs of symptoms, he had access to, to Svita, you know, who was uh, my business partner in Peru and she lived up there in his area. And so she could check in with him as a form of support, you know, to follow up and, you know, check in, how is he doing? What's going on? So you know, that's just the reality of him I'm throwing that out there because, you know, people are saying, okay, what's the integration plan? And what I'm like, I don't know, what is the integration plan? Yeah. Who's going to pay for the integration plan? Yeah. You know, so what the integration plan is human culture. It is. And it's interesting. I mean, in some ways there is this high probability of lack of compliance in a way, right? Of course. And... On the flip side of that, there's also a probably high probability of success when one takes the personal responsibility, right? And my sense in, you know, plant medicine ceremonies and healing that happens there and also like through a yoga experience, for example, um, the the experience itself is motivating, is so motivating that the 
empowerment and the responsibility of the individual is um, sort of bolstered by that, right? Sure, sure. I think there's, you know, I think one thing like observing healing in the Amazon and, you know, talking about is like that there's a difference, you know, there's a big difference between like weekend ceremony in the States versus like a three-week dieta, you know, in the Amazon with these healers. So this guy, and and the reason I bring it up is because, you know, they've done a little bit of research studies around the, like the 12 day dietas at this place called the Temple of the Way of Light in Peru and the following of one year, two year follow up. So the idea that that you could really potentially impact somebody, you know, with a really uh, transformative experience, like an in-depth experience, of course, they would have to follow up and comply and be more integrated. But that that kind of impact would be dramatically different from a weekend experience in the States, you know? So, so people may not have that much real exposure to what's possible with those kind of plants and those kind of medicines, you know, seeing people just kind of pop in and out of, of, so I just want to throw that out there that, so it's true that in those kind of weekend experiences and stuff that, yeah, you could be the inspiration. It could be the window could open, but that, hey, this guy's in a three-week, like, deeply immersed process, that that would be when you see somebody go through a seven-day Vipassana or, you know, a one-month yoga retreat, it's like that you see that it's like, whoa, that's, you know, they, you could just blow that off, but it does usually have a bigger impact. So then there's yeah. that piece, you know, like, what is the deeper integration and what is the deeper healing process? Like, does the deeper healing process... um you know, a retreat is a great way to go about it because so, you know, you do need all that time to reflect and, you know, squeezing it in here and there and here and there. It's it's tough. It's tough for people, you know, so they, the reset a lot of times comes from a a more immersion kind of experience. Yeah. All that makes a lot of sense and um, is relatable from my perspective too, you know, in terms of what we do on yoga retreat and And I think from the perspective of a yoga therapist, like when we're working with individuals, we are um, seeking to impart like slow progress over time, like consistent daily habits that don't have to be huge. Um, And so I could see that being sort of a beneficial integration path for individuals who want to continue their healing. Right. Is I totally to, agree. We do. We do. In our, your Columbia, life. Mm-hmm. in our Columbia retreats, we have a, a yoga practitioner, you know, that just is bringing the daily yoga practice to those retreats. Um, and so she's brother Cesar, who just loves yoga and is, a, you know, so dedicated and just it brings such a beautiful daily practice and, you know, the physicality. But he also has a, you know, kind of meditation focus and, and his yoga and it just brings it all together. You know, mm-hmm. the wholeness yeah. of it. Yeah. So I just think that there's no question that that's a beautiful addition to, mm-hmm. to such work. Mm-hmm. And I think that the deeper root of it with the chakra work and with the, mm-hmm. you know, there is that profound metaphysical science of it that is that runs very deep and is also about finding that kind of energetic balance within one's being and like, you know, the metaphysical side of that, which I think really crosses over into the to the ayahuasca curanderismo you know like there's no question that you know focusing on uncertain let's say chakra energy centers 
is is interrelated. So there's something there. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit and maybe talk about acceptance of this sort of whole person health. Like, so since the time you were in medical school and subsequently wrote your book, Fellowship of the River, which I, I love the title. And it wasn't until like, I obviously started reading the book that I understood where it came from. Yeah. And I thought that was just so great. Yeah. But do you think there's a wider acceptance of the role of spirituality today in modern healthcare? And then like, what do we mean when we say spiritual healing? Yeah, I think that it's mixed. So then that's, you know, my area of interest right now is that I think the psychedelic renaissance is like the strongest push to kind of reignite an interest in spirituality as it relates to healthcare. And so that's an evidence-based uh, prong that is entering mental health care. And so it's becoming more and more difficult to ignore it as a reality. In other words, you know, it's kind of like trauma-informed healing, you know, is, is like, okay, if you're, you could try to deny the role of trauma, how could childhood trauma lead to this guy's Crohn's disease, you know, and just kind of blow it off and talk like that, you know, which... I would say is pretty common, you know, in the culture, medical culture that I was came up in. But now if you're not, it's like you're you're basically ignorant. Mm -hmm. You know, like this yeah. is just like, hey, you know, we're just a little compassion for you. Like maybe we need something's going on. Like you're not having a hard time catching up. Yeah. You know, something's blocking you from understanding, you know, how things are. And in the case of this. You know, I think it is very interesting. And so the way the psychedelic therapeutics are kind of, you know, starting to really rock the psychiatric world, you know, turning people around with MDMA who've had 20 years of PTSD that, you know, previous models could not touch. And these people were basically cast out as you know, broken, and you can't fix that person, that kind of problem that they have, they're going to die like that. And then all of a sudden, you can, you know, a very high percentage of them. So what is the key to what happened to them? And so then that's starting to like open these doors and open these questions about what's going on, you know, and you see, like, I always bring it up but the MDMA, I mean, you're in the vital program, the protocol, the FDA approved protocol for the MDMA assisted therapy involves you know helping someone contact their inner healer this metaphysical concept is at the core of where you're trying to get somebody to plug into and so what does that mean who is the inner healer and so then we talk about other ways that spirituality starts making its way into the medical model they talk about a sense of meaning you know that's a universal concept that people are willing rational materialistic people are willing to entertain that if you have um, no meaning that yes it's you lose this inspiration we were talking about you know that word that has a spiritual root but has somehow become secularized but again in ignorance because what exactly are you saying of course that's what you're saying that's what it always has meant that's what that word means is that you feel like inspired, that you feel connected 
to an energy in the way that the yogis are talking about being connected to prana. That's what that word means. That's why we're using it. Mm-hmm. So there's a sense of meaning, a sense of purpose, you know? So those things are, are metaphysical concepts, you could might say, or they're at least transcendent concepts, or they're, you know, we're trying to find more universal language to not upset people because there's a lot of religious trauma that's really at the root of that resistance, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to the spirituality. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you bring it up, then then the you know that triggers a lot of people to whether they had family trauma or they had this trauma or whatever it was, you know, abuses that have happened within the religious you know institutions that uh, that you know they go all the way back to like you know majors. I mean, there's all kinds of major stuff, but you know, Ken Wilber talks about how you know, maybe the break away from spirituality, part of it is like that, like, you know, the Catholic church had a stranglehold on Western culture for centuries. And, you know, if you, if you try to tell them that the earth is going around the sun, they're going to, you know, burn you at the stake. And so it's like, after a while, you know, the scientists are like, get those guys out of here. Like they killed my friend, you know, it's like, it's violent. The, the friction that has been there in many parts of it. And so it's like, so that's why I say it's so important to find ways to talk about it that can kind of lead towards a more universal discussion. Obviously the yoga and and frameworks like that, you know, they provide a way, indigenous frameworks provide a way, you know, to talk about it more broadly. And so now, uh, you know, at the psychedelic conference this past year, I was invited to present along people from Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, from the uh, Divinity School, you know, chaplains who've been involved in the psychedelic research, you know, from the get-go, like that's always been kind of welcome to the psychedelic um, clinical model. It's like, okay, well, you can have a licensed therapist, but the the FDA also, well, you know, you could chaplain is qualified to help people through that process. Mm -hmm. Because why? Because everybody knows that they're going to encounter like a lot of spiritual content. And so what is that? And so then they created a word that they published in their papers from Emory University called the CERT, you know, the latest acronym from the Western model. It's spiritual, religious, existential, or theological experiences. Mm. So they're saying, you know, these CERTs are very common in the psychedelic experience. And we're seeing this CERT keeps coming up when people are going through these clinical psychedelic treatments. And so we realize that the CERT is common. So we need to kind of like, we can't ignore it because it's there it is. Here's the percentage. Here's the statistics. This many percentage of the time, somebody's going to have a CERT, you know, on psilocybin or something like that. So then second point, through our research and our statistical analysis, we've realized the CERT is clinically relevant. What happens to them in regards to these experiences ends up impacting their health. And so this would, you know, strengthen the argument that we need to bring spiritually educated people into this kind of work to help people because they can draw upon their um cultural wisdom 
you know, whether that's a yoga tradition or, you know, Christian theology, whatever that is, to help people, you know, shipibo curanderismo, you could say. And so then to draw upon the multi-generational wisdom of what is it like for people's souls to go through life and how do we work through stuff that's really hard? You know, how do we find forgiveness? How do we for ourselves, for others? How do we find compassion? How do we find um, gratitude? How do we find love for ourselves? You know, so those topics I just listed those four that was, you know, in a publication from Silos. I've been researched from NYU or one of those places where they're like, hey, as much as this other content keeps coming up, this content was extremely consistent in mm-hmm. what people went through and their process of decreasing their symptoms of depression. So that's what it is right now. You know, like the evidence is there. And so how do you get it across to people? Well, helping them find a sense of meaning, a sense of purpose. How do they address their existential questions in life that are surrounding them? It's interesting. You said things like um, compassion and gratitude, love for oneself. I mean, there's also like a whole separate field of research that indicates how important those things are for your mental health. So if these are experiences you're having through a psychedelic process, right, and they are markers of spiritual well-being in a way, separately, they're also known to be beneficial for your mental health. So there's no surprise, right, that... Exactly you know, these things come together to benefit the whole person. So we're back to that, like inspire yeah. talk, you know, it's like, okay, inspire as a word, here we are using it. And then guess uh-huh. what? We're using the word love, we're using the word compassion, we're using the word gratitude, we're using the word forgiveness, which have mm-hmm. for thousands of years been, you know, within the realm squarely of spiritual growth. Yeah. You know, so we can secularize it and say, okay, I'm saying love. And, you know, I'm just saying love, but I'm, you know, I'm not, I don't want to talk about church. I don't want to talk about God. It's like, okay, but I'm just saying that that word is like, has a steeped in this relationship to the mystery. And so it's just, you know, that there's, there's something about that. Like there's something about the historical ancestral cultural connection mm-hmm. to, like you said, to inspire, to, you know, that we've distanced ourselves so much in the short term, you know, in a short, in the last few generations from the mysterious side of life, which was much more present, I think. And, you know, whatever, if you read Isaac Newton or, you know, all these people, yeah. even Albert Einstein, you know, yeah. it's like that these were discussions that they could have in the 1920s and 30s. And, you know, it wasn't um, so taboo. And now, you know, you're like a heretic if you bring these things up. Yeah. And by the way, I also feel like another prong that might be like approaching spirituality and healthcare is the field of yoga therapy. And so it could yeah. be, you know, and that that's why my interest crosses over no, so, so important frequently between this work of psychedelics and the yoga therapies, obviously, like where I, I am as a professional, but um, there's just so much common ground that both traditions if you want to call them that cover well it's so true and and i think it's it's really about to me 
that it's about ancestral traditions that are more comprehensive and holistic, you know, through wisdom, through the experience of lived experience over generations, they uh, have come to this conclusion that, hey, this is it's a whole being and it's in, in, in continuity with the universe, as it turns out. And so then, you know, it's not, you know, Chinese medicine and and the ancient Chinese, you know, philosophy. And then it turns out a bunch of other global philosophies, you know, outside of the Western philosophy. And here in the United States, like, you know, very suppressed and marginalized, but the Native American, you know, uh, spiritual traditions, of course, agree with this. And so that's like this, you know, for whatever it's worth, just to throw it out there, this this workshop that we're doing, you know, that's Josie Begay, James, my friend, Navajo medicine woman. No, she's just like, hey, what do I observe from the Westerners? Like, well, they don't want to address the spiritual side of their patients. But, you know, she's like, in truth, in her estimation, her cultural perspective, well, people are spiritual beings. And so if you don't address that, then you're in denial and you won't be able to finish off what they're working on. Tell me more about the workshop you've got coming up. Yeah, so I'll just I'll just bring when it up. When is it? And yeah. It's January twentieth. Okay, through modernspirit.org through our you know our nonprofit, which is dedicated to demonstrating the value of spiritual healing in modern healthcare. And so we have been focused on, you know, some of the indigenous spiritual traditions from the Americas. Here we are living in the United States, and um, and my family's from Colombia. In these Americas, there's a, there's a lot of wisdom about this and our relationship with nature and as we're facing, you know, this ecological disaster. So this is a day-long workshop and it's called Sacred Ceremony and Psychedelic Therapy. So it's people that are very experienced in traditional ceremony and aware of this psychedelic, psychotherapeutic practice that's developing. And so in the morning, we're going to be sharing with Sochi Bukuru, who's an indigenous healer from Colombia. Uh, very experienced in ayahuasca ceremony, assists me with uh, groups of therapists that we've been taking down to Colombia. And then in the afternoon, we're going to be working with Josie Begay James. And, you know, then the three of us will be involved in some panels throughout and answering a lot of questions. Josie Begay James is a Diné, you know, Navajo medicine woman, like a lot of experience with ceremony and ritual and, uh, and also in peyote ceremony in her tradition. And so she's very, uh, comfortable working with people in altered states and, you know, deeply spiritual experiences. And so they're going to be teaching about their holistic view of, of human beings and earth and the continuity of mind, body, spirituality, you know, matter and uh, the invisible realms, all of that. They're going to be talking about that as it relates to the healing that they've been a part of and the work that they do. And, and just as you have said, yeah, the integration. And then that's what I'm saying, you know, ultimately, like, and it's not so easy because it's for us, you know, we have a long ways to go. But the integration becomes about human culture. Mm-hmm. So they're coming from cultures where, you know, that obviously there's been a lot of struggle and difficulty, but at least that's not in ignorance. They're like, yeah, we have to eventually get to a place where the culture itself is going to be a place that's going to support people going through those kind of experiences and coming home. And, you know, where if you want to do yoga because for your health, for your spiritual health, for your emotional health, for your physical health, that other people would be behind you. Hey, that's a great idea. You know, like that's really beneficial. Why wouldn't you want to do that? You know, like that's, that's versus uh, resistance that's born in 
you know, a lot of other things. And some of them are pathological and some of them are culturally pathological. So it's about like trying to heal. And it's about trying to that part of that like ancestral connection that we were just talking about, about yoga and Chinese medicine. Yeah, that that's really missing here in the Americas. And because of the way things have evolved in the colonial situation here in the United States, that we are largely cut off from that wisdom that people are going to be connected to along the Ganges in India and watching these traditions that have happened for thousands of years that are helping them understand, you know, about life and death. And so when you cut yourself off and pretend like we just started over and, you know, we're just making it up as we go along and don't worry, we'll figure this out. If we just make enough money, it'll just, it'll work itself out. A fool's uh, path. Mm -hmm. This is, there's no question that this has been established, you know, whether it's in the Bible or however far back you want to go through Western culture to understand that, hey, you know, there's, there's some red flags here. So how do we root ourselves again? And do we need to root ourselves in this land again? And how do we reopen the doors to these indigenous cultures that, you know, of course, they have their wounds and their resentment to be willing to you know, help us kind of understand like where we are and can we find a place to reconnect to prayers that have been happening on these lands where we live and where many people's children are growing up for thousands of years, you know, where you have to figure out that inspire means spirit, but you don't even know like what was the sacred place that's on this hill by where you live and why did they think that? Mm-hmm. Now, maybe that would be useful to mm-hmm. us. Maybe that would help us have more of a sense of belonging. Maybe that would help us feel more grounded and more rooted and in that sense, less scattered, less, you know, um, wobbly, quick and swinging this way, polarizing that way, you know, just on a dime. Yeah. So, so that's what we're like. That's the workshop is about helping people to explore that. But also as it relates to everything you're talking about, you know, we talk about energy healing and spiritual healing as it relates to Diné culture and wisdom to Colombian indigenous wisdom. And uh, they're going to share that with us. And and as it relates to people's healing and their spiritual walk and their integration. And you're going to see what's their integration. These people are praying every day and doing rituals regularly, just like some of these dedicated yogis. Yep. Yeah. It sounds great. And I'll share information about it in the show notes. So make sure people can read more about it and hopefully participate too. You know, yeah, that would see, be great. Thank I you. see how relevant it is to what we do as well, how connected. Mm-hmm. So I have one last question, and I, I kind of ask this to each of the guests I've had on the podcast, and it has to do with like getting a little insight into your own personal spiritual practice. So when we train yoga therapists, we really place a lot of importance on having your own spiritual practice first, which comes before holding space for other people and doing yeah. any of that work with others. And so I imagine like yourself, you might have a similar approach to life. It might not be a yoga practice, but maybe you have some daily practices that are important that kind of keep you on your your spiritual path. And if you do, I'd love to hear about it. Yeah. You know, I grew up going to church 
like that's uh, my family's very catholic i you know i broke away from that but i grew up kind of where that was a regular thing in life you know to go to church or to spiritual practice or something was around and then i kind of like you know got away from that and then in college got exposed to like meditation or then got exposed to some other traditional practices whether that was uh then eventually like sweat lodge and thing you know just a mix of things and then in peru i got like uh you know immersed in living kind of a ceremonial existence day in day out and then i came back here and now i'm like defining that for myself right and so service was a big part of it for me you know which is kind of a classic yoga thing so i think the service was a big part of the practice for me and then you know but maybe too much like a little carried away in mm -hmm. the service department but but i think there's a lot of growth that comes from that you know and my daily i mean i am usually involved in some kind of service most days helping somebody or somehow but for myself like in the morning you know i like the idea and there's a you know it's popular here in arizona among the native tribes like they they believe in praying you know in the early dawn that that's a time to speak to the spirits you know to wake up and you know take some time to be grateful you know, to, I don't do enough yoga. I want to do more yoga, but try to go for a walk. You know, I try to do like physical kind of walking meditation. I do a lot of walking um, to spend some time to reflect once in a while. Like there's a lot of, in the Shipibo tradition, the native traditions. And if you're a healer and you do that kind of work, then there's a lot of like thought about kind of cleansing that you need to like cleanse regularly to you pick up a lot of energy dealing with a lot of people. So then there's like different things you do to address that, you know, whether that's like saging your house or saging yourself, or, you know, in our case, like going into ceremony with some regularity, whether that's, you know, sometimes it's ayahuasca. Sometimes I just went on Saturday to attend a day long Navajo ceremony to so you know just like attending ceremonies and rituals and that they're going to be bringing that vibration that's going to kind of refresh and reinvigorate oneself so it's it's just my daily is probably just like a little bit of you know gratitude prayer and a little meditative walking some degree of service you know at the end of the day like trying to again like come back into some gratitude before you know going to sleep mm -hmm. so yeah i do more work to organize my <laughs> not my really i mean i do i do a, a lot you know what's coming to my mind is as a yoga practitioner like my daily doesn't look very different from yours mm -hmm. actually you know yeah and i consider those to, those same things to be part of my practice yeah oh so that time in, in reverence Yes. gratitude and, and that time connect for me like being out in nature does connect me to spirit yes and when you live in a beautiful place you know how could you not like make that part of your daily that's what it is you know and i think that's what it comes down to is that reverence and making time on a daily basis for the reverence which like in our tradition and i think the traditions here and I think across the board, and I think it's true in yoga, and I think it's true in meditation, and a lot of other things I see, but just different flavors. For us, the reverence is about, or for me, it's about listening 
to become part of a larger whole. And in that, there's sometimes there's guidance. And so then that's like trying to understand, you know, what in Colombia, let's say, you know, you have all the different thoughts, you know, you have your mind is like that, full of thoughts, like, which one is the right one? (laughs) Which one should you go with? Where is your feeling? How is your heart in this moment as you try to proceed? And really like trying to spend time in that reverence where you could try to this inspiration that we talked about, that that is a connection. That's the thing. That's the traditional way. Mm-hmm. They say, yeah, you know, think beautifully. Yeah, sure. You should, you know, uh, speak beautifully. Yeah, that's nice. But most of all, you know, connect beautifully. That there is something to connect to. And that's this energy that we're a part of. And that's the wholeness, you know, that is everything that is positive, negative, you know, tragic, beautiful. But there's a wholeness that we're a part of. And and that's where we can find the inspiration. And that inspiration is energy that nourishes us. And it's something that is tangible and that we can feel. And it's the difference between the person that feels inspired to the person who doesn't feel inspired. Yeah. So beautiful. I've loved everything you've shared today. Thank you so much. Mm. It was really great speaking with you and I look forward to continuing our conversation in whatever form that might be at some point in the future. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you very much for having me. Very, very, it was a pleasure. If you'd like to learn more about who we are and what we do, Visit us at innerpeaceyogatherapy.com.